So, gee, why do you like history so much? Because it's kind of funny to think about how, like, they how they didn't have like all of the modern technology that we have. Like, we use a phone every single day, and they wouldn't have used anything except for like pieces of paper just to write something to another person. That is so true. Do you know that I did not get my first cell phone until I was already graduated from college? And before that, I always had to use a piece of paper if I wanted to write something to another person. Oh boy, sounds awful. You've reached the CNA Newsroom. CNA Newsroom. CNA Newsroom. CNA Newsroom. Welcome to CNA Newsroom. Hi, everyone. Welcome to CNA Newsroom. The podcast that brings you the stories behind the headlines each week. I'm your host and CNA Editor-in-Chief, J.D. Flynn. And this week on the podcast, I am so excited because I'm joined by my two very special co-hosts, who you already heard, my niece and nephew, Elin and Giovanni Paolo. Guys, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Will you tell everybody how old you are and what grade you're in? I'm in third grade and I'm eight. I'm in fifth grade and I'm 10. And Elin and Giovanni are co-hosting this week because this is our back to school episode. And guys, you went back to school this week, right? Yep. Was it hard to start waking up very early in the morning again? Yes. (laughs) Uh, Not really. Were you ready for summer vacation to end? Yes. No. (laughs) Did you have a good summer vacation? Yeah. Yeah, sort of. You guys took a big trip this summer, right? Can you tell our listeners about your trip? We went to Indiana and Washington, D.C. We got a tour of the White House and the Capitol. Oh, and you visited two colleges while you were there. What were they? Notre Dame and... uh... (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember. You visited Notre Dame and Steubenville for the most ecumenical Catholic college road trip ever. What was exciting in Washington, D.C.? The air conditioning. (laughs) (laughs) Was it very hot? Yeah, it was hot, humid, and we had to walk everywhere. (laughs) Now, Elin, what was the most exciting part for you? I think getting a tour of the White House. Oh, cool. Now, you guys have already been back in school for almost a whole week, but some kids haven't even started school yet. Do you have any advice for kids who are starting school next week? Uh, Do good work. (laughs) Elin and Giovanni went back to school this week, but they also sat down with Elias Moe, superintendent of schools here in the Archdiocese of Denver, to talk about Catholic education. Here they are. What do you think is the most important thing about Catholic education? I would say that the most important thing about Catholic education is twofold. It's Jesus and it's you as students. The reason why we think that you're so important is because the mission that we have at our schools is to bring you into encounter with Jesus. And Jesus, in turn, then becomes the central part of of school life. It's why we do what we do. What's your favorite thing to teach kids? I love theology, but I also love math. Uh, Perhaps even slightly a little bit more because um, there's just something really awesome about the, uh, the order and the patterns and the sequences that, are, that exist in the world, and then coming to see why those exist. All the students that I've had as, uh, that have had me as a math teacher will tell you I was a little crazy in, in the math class. Uh, I was a bit of a math nerd, 
And uh, I love math jokes. Have you ever heard a good math joke? No. What's tree yeah. plus tree? <laughs> what? Six. <laughs> <laughs> good one, huh? I think. <laughs> hey, guys, it's JD. Listen, when Elias told that joke, to be perfectly honest, I didn't get it. And I laughed. Well, I laughed to be a nice guy, but... I thought about the joke for like two days, and then I realized, I think Elias misspoke. I think it's a really funny joke, because I think he meant to say sticks. Tree plus tree equals sticks. That's pretty good, right? Anyway, back to Elias. What Star Wars movie do you think is the best and why? Oh, man. You guys both love Star Wars, right? We do, yeah. Well, so my favorite movie, at the risk of upsetting uh, folks, is actually, uh, it's a close tie between... Return of the Jedi really? and Rogue One. And I might give it to Rogue One, perhaps. One, because of the awesome Darth Vader scene at the, at the end of the I movie. love that one. <laughs> that one's my favorite. But there's some awesome... Uh, the storyline is great, and I think you get a really, really great background. I like it because it's, like, clear. They have, like, the actual, like, sounds of the TIE fighter and the X-Wing, and then they just... It's just kind of cool. Like It you, is cool. No, you you're see right. Them, like, you see inside of their cockpit. You yeah. see, like what they're seeing by the droid and you see what all of them are seeing yeah no yeah you're right visually it's, it, looks. it is awesome now i have a couple of questions for you too elias if you look at some of the numbers there is a lot of evidence that makes it look like catholic education is on the decline in the united states or enrollment in catholic right. schools is on the decline and right. there are catholic schools closing and um from your perspective sort of in the trenches um, and especially a leadership in a, in a leadership position in Catholic education. What what is the state of Catholic education in the U.S. now? You know, from my perspective, as a teacher, as a Catholic school leader, and and now in this role as superintendent of Catholic schools, I'll tell you that um, that doesn't quite, I think, capture what the reality is from the ground level, from the trenches. Generally speaking, we are starting to see a um, a movement that the word decline doesn't quite capture. One of the things that Catholic schools really struggled with was really cementing their identity in the Catholic world, but also in the larger educational landscape. When we made the transition from religious men and women to lay men and women teaching and running schools, I think we, um, we had a tremendous crisis in identity. You know, religious men and women just came with a, a natural and organic Catholic worldview and Catholic ethos, right, by nature and virtue of their formation. And many of them, I think, steeped in formation experiences that were marked and centered on the liberal arts. Whereas, you know, in the last 50, 60 years, educational programs, many have been molded after modern educational theory and thought. The modern educational establishment, as we know it, uh, began to develop out of this desire to want to um, form young men and women to be productive people in society. How are we going to give an educational experience that will ensure the future of society? Well, we got to ensure that they're prepared for the workforce. We have to ensure that they're ready to enter into the jobs that are going to be waiting for them. And at the time, I think, you know, this is, we're talking about uh, an era uh, shortly after the Industrial Revolution and, and where capitalism, I think, perhaps is it's in its, at its height, if you will. And certainly what, what happened then is that as laymen and women who were now are being formed in these secular, by and large, secular institutions of education, this is, this is kind of what's at the forefront for them. They're not, they're not receiving the same formation that religious men and women had. And this is what, from my perspective, 
by and large, drives this crisis of identity that we see in, in Catholic education. This is not to, to say that it wasn't well-intentioned or that there was some kind of an agenda being driven, right? So where are we at today? Um, we're, we're at a point where we, we really have uh, two options in front of us. Do we continue embracing the modern educational establishment's vision of education, which today now is manifested in kind of the buzzwords of college and career readiness? Or is there something that makes us so unique or even radically different than what is being offered in other places by nature and virtue of being a Catholic institution or an extension of the Catholic Missio to go and make disciples of all nations? And in my experience, I would say that that's, that's where it's starting to shift and swing back to. There's been a rediscovery of what's at the heart of the church for the formation and education of the human person. It's about pointing man to his ultimate destination, to heaven, and enabling him here on earth to develop through an intellectual experience the faculties that, that, that man needs to be able to live as a virtuous son or to live as a virtuous daughter of God. Those places that are experiencing renewal, um, and there I say even a renaissance, are doing so because they have come back and realized, you know what? Instead of, you know, focusing on what, what, what's the competition outside doing from, a, you know, a, a market production perspective, why don't we go back to understanding what does the church invite us to do, one, in our mission to educate, but two, what's the vision that the church holds for the human person? And that's radically and fundamentally different. We certainly have a long ways to go, and there's certainly challenges that, um, that we still have to face, but... I, I think actually this is the the time for Catholic Ed to experience the a new spring, a new renaissance. And and it's interesting that new renaissance. I, I guess I have two observations about that. One, it seems to me that I've seen dioceses which have said, okay, we have to look at how to diversify from the public schools, and they start sort of from this business bottom line perspective. Right. And they say, and and but that leads to the question of sort of what makes us different, and that that is sort of what opens up the door to something much bigger. Right. Um. And I guess my question is. You're talking about a philosophical reorientation, but it sounds like one that could and has manifested in sort of lots of different educational expressions, if you will. Yes. Is, is that, I mean, is, it, is this new springtime leading to sort of one way of doing education or to sort of a, a panoply of, of, of approaches? Yeah. You know, there's a lot out in the educational marketplace today as far as new innovations in, in education or models, if you will. Whether that's, you know, the classical movement or project-based learning uh, type experience at the school or STEM, right, which is kind of the the newest um, thing happening uh, in schools. Fundamentally, we're talking about methodologies and and pedagogy there, differentiation in, in the way that you deliver the learning. I think you can have all of that but still, again, be working towards the same objective and have the same starting point of if we are here to form the human person and we believe that the human person is a body-soul unity and there's implications for how to form a person because they're a body-soul unity, then we're going to go about finding the best way to form them in, in the educational environment. I think what you know we see in the classical movement, for example, the, the embracing of the trivium is certainly a, one beautiful way that that has uh, manifested itself today and, it's, and in many ways is leading a lot of, of, of the renewal. But I wouldn't also discard some of the other things that are happening because, you know, even in STEM environments, what, what's at the heart? It's engagement and interaction with the created world. And kids are building things and they're inquiring. And, they're, and in that inquiry they're, and discovery, they're learning about 
God through, again, this encounter with, with the created world, with, with nature. You're freeing young men and women to be these virtuous people, right? To give them these tastes and, and, and these glimpses of what, what their education is inviting them to do and, and how the Lord is inviting them to then extend themselves as his instruments to the world. And that can be accomplished, I think, in a variety of different ways. But the starting point needs to be this basic, I think, philosophical agreement that education is more than just production. It's about the formation of the human person. That was really insightful. Thank you for sharing that vision with us, Elias. Sure, it was great to be with you. Elias and I talked a lot longer about Catholic education. We had to edit our conversation for time, but it was a really fascinating conversation. This is a smart guy. So what we're going to do is share the full conversation as a sort of bonus episode of CNA Newsroom. And maybe that's something we'll do in the future again. We'll try and see if we can release like the full audio of interviews from time to time as bonus episodes. And that's what we're going to do with my conversation with Elias. So if you're interested in hearing a much fuller excursus on the notion of Catholic education, look for that. After these messages, we'll be right back. Sometimes we listen to CNA Newsroom in the car with our mom. They're pretty cool, actually. You can listen to them with your kids, too. You can subscribe to CNA Newsroom and CNA Editor's Desk wherever you get your podcasts. And you can listen to my Aja. That's what they call me. So subscribe today. In my conversation with Elias, he mentioned classical education as sort of one of the modes through which the Catholic intellectual and educational tradition can be expressed. The Archdiocese of Denver actually has a classical school. In fact, I think it has a couple, but there's one right down the road from our office. My kids go there, and it's called Our Lady of Lords Catholic School. Our producer, Jonah McKeown, spoke with the principal and with the teacher about the classical model of Catholic education. Here's Jonah. Back in 2011, Our Lady of Lords Catholic School in Denver was struggling. Low enrollments, financially unstable, and no upward trend at all in any area. Just this is Rosemary Vanderweel. She's been principal of the school for a while now, but back then she was brand new to Our Lady of Lords. You know, it was hard to compete with there's five other Catholic schools right in the area. And in the course of working toward her master's degree, Rosemary had learned a lot about classical Catholic education. As a last-ditch effort, I was hired to bring in the classical model, which I had been writing my thesis on for a master's degree. So the school decided to take a chance on Rosemary and hire her to start the school on a different path, and hopefully to save it. And so we took that challenge on in 2011, kind of just took on the mission of what the church documents say Catholic education should look like, and we ended up with this beautiful classical school that's now thriving. So let's start with the basics. What is classical education? Educating the whole person, so um, mind, body, and soul. This is Andrew Beach. He's the head of school for Lord's South Campus and also teaches middle school history and theology. And specifically educating them towards the ends of heaven and towards the ends of like a truly free and human life. I wish Lords didn't have to call itself classical. I wish we could just say we're Catholic because really when you really look at what the church asks, this is it. Catholic Church started 
really what human formation in education looks like. This mission of whole person formation and sanctity above career. You're probably wondering what the church says about Catholic education. Well, as you can probably imagine, it says quite a lot. And Rosemary spent quite a bit of time studying it. It goes back to a philosophical level, which is we're not educating for utility. We're educating for wisdom and virtue. We teach many of the same skills that other schools teach, but the purpose, the end, is to point towards the Logos, which differs when you look at it as a person, as Jesus Christ, as the Word incarnate, or as career readiness. There's a philosophical dimension to a classical school that's rooted in Catholic teaching about the dignity of the person and the importance of formation in the faith. This is a mindset that Rosemary and Andrew said many Catholic schools seem to have forgotten. At Lourdes especially, we've really put the centrality of prayer back into each classroom. Um, and it's not just that we're a Catholic school, so we pray and then we educate. It's like I think the students really see how the prayer is actually the beginning and, and you could say the end even of the education. It seems that many Catholic schools have bought into this mindset of, well, we have to compete with the public schools. We have to look like them. We will fit religion class in, we'll fit virtues in, we'll fit mass in. But meanwhile, we're going to use the same textbooks, we're going to have the same programming, we're going to have the same teacher training. Rosemary noted that the public school system in the United States was very much influenced by the ideas of John Dewey, who was himself a secular humanist. And I think this is actually the whole reason why Lords happened. I was writing my thesis saying, like, this is what's happening across the country. Catholic schools are trying to compete, and we're failing. We're failing in every front. We can't compete with public schools. We're not doing a good job being a Catholic school. So what happens? Nobody wants to come to them, and nobody wants to support them. A lot of it is just getting back to being fundamentally Catholic and, and actually establishing that as a culture and an identity. Um, because if you're just going to be the same as the public school down the street with a Catholic name slapped on top, then I don't know exactly what we're doing. Everything that is worth taking from modern education, and there are some very good principles within it, are leftovers, are trappings from what education was for years and years and years. So Our Lady of Lords is not doing anything like so earth-shattering new. We're doing what the church and education did for hundreds and hundreds of years, and we're just reclaiming it. And we're doing it with the courage to say, yeah, we're not gonna look like every school around us. Another important aspect they mentioned is recognizing that the child's parents are the primary educators, and their teachers are in a support role, not the other way around. Establishing the fact that parents are the primary educators, and that has been largely taken away from parents and saying, it's our job, we'll do it. And parents are like, great, please do. But that isn't what the church calls for. The church, the church gives parents children. Their job is to get their children to heaven. If they have a school that can support in that mission, that's what the school's job is. It is not the job of the school to raise children. So that's the theory anyway. But you're probably wondering what this approach looks like practically in the classroom. So we don't use textbooks. We don't have a whole lot of technology in the room. There is enough evidence out there that technology does not make us smarter. In the classroom, there's a big focus on beauty. Well, the transcendentals, truth, beauty, and goodness kind of imbue the 
culture of every classroom, the integration of the faith into everything changes the whole culture. It changes the way the children treat each other. It changes the way they respect their teachers. So that right there, if you are a school teacher and have been in education or have even been in a classroom, changes everything. If you have the focus on charity and virtue, that changes the direction of the whole day. We try as much as possible to integrate rather than fragment. And so I think a lot of uh, the modern education theories would, they want to kind of divide up the subjects and do a different activity every 10 minutes. And it's, it can be very jarring to one's attention, um, even as an adult. But, and so in our classrooms, we're kind of getting back to trying to foster those skills of attention in students where they're able to actually focus for large amounts of time and, and really give their full effort into what they're doing, into their work. But that manifests itself maybe in its greatest way in their prayer, you know, that they're, that they're able to, to go to a mass and be fully uh, participatory in, in, in prayer for, for a full hour. And, and we see that even in our young students. One of the disciplines they emphasize at Lourdes is poetry. The kids learn and memorize poems and often remember them years later. Books fall open by David McCord. Books fall open, you fall in, delighted where you've never been. Hear voices not once heard before, reach world on ward through door on door. Find unexpected keys to things locked up beyond imagining. What might you be, perhaps become, because one book is somewhere, some wise deliver into wisdom wit and where full wall has written it. Some books will venture dare you out, whisper secrets, maybe shout, across the gloom to you in need who hanger for a book to read. Good poetry is always speaking about creation itself, speaking about the human person. And, and when you have students memorize that over and over, I think um, at the time they may not even fully understand the, the deep meaning in a given poem, and yet it sticks with them throughout their life. Learning poetry, they say, is a way for students to connect with the beautiful things in the world and not be quite so focused on the basic skills they're going to need for a job. Our culture is so obsessed with utilitarianism. When we're, we're confronted with something, we want to ask, what is this good for? What is it going to produce? And there's something about poetry that uh, is useless in the best sense of the word. It's good for itself. You're not going to use a poem uh, to go out and get something or, or do something. The best things you can give a student are actually the things that are just good in and of themselves. This attitude manifests itself in the classroom in other ways too. I kind of joke around that I, I like to have some sort of a great masterpiece behind me while teaching at all times, even if it has nothing to do with the lesson, because at least, like she's yeah. saying, if, if the student daydreams, they'll, they'll be looking at that. But it's not just the aesthetic beauty of like the classrooms or the art that's in there, but I think even the mode of instruction, so the way that the teachers uh, present their, their given discipline or, or truth, uh, I think we, we really try to do it in a beautiful way that actually makes sense. It's not just, let me write this stuff on the board, you guys put it down, then there's a test this Friday. It's, we're actually gonna learn this together in, in the way that, that is ordered and makes sense. Rosemary and Andrew both talked about the importance of undertaking the education of kids with the correct end in mind. Kids are not just lemmings. We're not just preparing them for a job. We're preparing them to be saints. It's no secret that the term classical carries with it some connotations, as Rosemary and Andrew point out. 
is the church made only for the elites and the intellectuals? No. But our God has created our minds to be formed in the truth. And so to to say that classical education is only for that specific population is to say that the church only wants those people to be the ones to contemplate sainthood. Ultimately, they say, they want to give their graduates a solid foundation so they leave the school loving their faith and loving to learn. Last year, Lords began a pilot program of special education, enrolling kids with Down syndrome and other intellectual disabilities in the classroom with their peers. Vanderweel says this is something that any Catholic school can do if they're willing to take on the challenge. Any child has the capability of forming their mind well and becoming the saint God created them to be. And anyone can learn about what the church teaches about Catholic education. Anyone can learn about what the founding principles of a classical school are. And even if you're a teacher or a principal or a pastor or, you know, wherever you are in your life, you can adopt little things and bring in the transcendentals and bring in a more focused attention to truth. You can never discount the power of prayer. And there was a lot of naysayers in this project, too. Like, you know, it's hard to change anything. But the beautiful thing about the Catholic Church is the universality of just pursuing the truth. It can be done. It can be done in baby steps. It can be done very quickly. But if, if that's your end goal, and it might not happen all in one year, it took us a long time to get where we are. I've found myself quoting this quote, like, just about every week for the last six months. But St. Teresa of Calcutta said, you know, we're not called to be successful, but faithful and obedient. And so I, I do think that we've been successful in a lot of ways. And I, I do think that, as Rosemary was saying, we, we graduate students that love their faith and love learning. But even more than that, I think our hope as Catholic educators should be, are we being faithful? Are we being obedient to the mission of the Catholic school, which really is, is the mission of Christ? For CNA Newsroom, I'm Jonah McKeown. Do you guys know what a trade is? What? A trade is like a carpenter. Do you know what a carpenter is? Yes. What's a carpenter, Maves? It's something that carves wood. Someone. Someone. A carpenter is someone who carves wood. Carpentry is something that carves wood. Do you guys know what a mason is? Uh. <laughs> Someone who builds buildings out of rocks. Okay. Do you guys know what a mechanic is? People that fix different kinds People. of mechanics. Do you guys know what a plumber is? Yeah. yeah. What's a plumber? The Mario Brothers are the plumbers. <laughs> so, in our next segment, we talk to a school in Michigan that teaches young people the faith and those important trades. Here's Perry. Ryan Pohl is a journeyman CNC machinist in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He taught a shop class at a high school. Today, he runs his own business providing corporate and industrial training. Ryan is also Catholic, and over the past several years, he began to notice a problem. Working in the factory setting, you know, being a machinist, but also caring deeply about my faith, you know, I, I just noticed that there wasn't anything available for me as a machinist or friends as welders or, or construction workers. Ryan's wife is a nurse. She earned her degree at Franciscan University of Steubenville. She received this tremendous formation in moral formation, theology, philosophy, and she was able to carry that formation into the workplace. I didn't see a, a formal path 
where, where people are working with their hands in the trades could get that same Catholic formation. Ryan brought this up with a longtime friend, Brian Black. The two would get together often to talk about work, family, and life. Brian owns and operates a specialty construction company in West Michigan. He's also Catholic, and he noticed the same problem. There just seemed to be a really strong need for a new path for young men to, to enter the trades in a more complete way. When I talk to young men who are interested in the trades, a lot of what keeps them from pursuing that uh, is there's only the trades training uh, if, if, you, if you go after that as a, as a vocation and, and not uh, any other education in humanities or, or any college experience like that. So uh, it, was, it was clear in talking to young men who are interested in the trades that there's, uh, there's a need for a, a more complete education. Three years later, Ryan and Brian are preparing to open Harmel Academy, a new trade school in Grand Rapids that will offer Catholic formation alongside hands-on experience in actual trades. The two-year program incorporates three areas of study. The first is a trade curriculum that will be split between a classroom and hands-on training at local companies. These are skills that uh, young men can use in any industrial or, or, or manufacturing setting, including you know, tool and die and, and robotics and hydraulics and pneumatics. Students at Harmel will also complete a humanities curriculum, studying papal documents, the catechism, and literature. The young men are exposed to the, the wisdom of the church. Uh, we jump into more deeply areas in theology, philosophy, history, literature, but not in a academic way you might find at a, at a traditional liberal arts college, but in a very practical way. Basically, who we are, uh, what our relationship to God is, what is our relationship to each other, what are some of the, uh, the social issues in front of us, and how do we participate fully in the church and our community. The final piece of Harmel's curriculum is a life skills section. And those are all the things that you wish somebody would have told you earlier in your life. Like how to buy a car or a house, how to balance a checkbook and manage a budget. We're not primarily interested in work as a success model in the world's eyes. We are really focused on the success of work in God's eyes and how it is that work can bring uh, sanctification to the worker. The incarnation itself speaks to the mission of Harmel Academy. Jesus Christ came to the earth and he worked as a carpenter, you know, and that has to tell us something about work, about working with our hands and, and the, the dignity in using our bodies to, to co-create with God. So it's a very, very holistic or rounded approach to education. The three-pronged curriculum was developed by a team of advisors. Professors, college presidents, electricians, uh, CNC guys, and we've got everybody involved to help create this curriculum to make it very, very effective. Harmel Academy will kick off its first semester in fall of 2020. We're set up to take uh, 12 to 15 students the first year. Students will live on the campus of Kuiper College, a partner of Harmel Academy. Ryan and Brian, hope graduates of Harmel Academy, will be well-rounded Catholics and employees. I think we'll be able to make the trades a much more attractive option for young men, um, but also, more importantly, is help them form themselves in, in the image of Christ and uh, serve the church in a, in a more complete way. Be a missionary where God has you. Be that example. We're not telling them to proselytize, 
you know, in the shop or anything like that, but to be an example of stability, an example of ethics and morals and work, you know, work ethic and integrity right there on the shop floor where a lot of people are watching. For CNA Newsroom, I'm Perry West. That's our podcast for today. Thank you for listening and work hard at school. CNA Newsroom is a production of the Catholic News Agency, a service of EWTN News. We're produced and edited by Kate Vike and Jonah McKeown. Our executive producer is Kate Vike. Special thanks this week to all our guests and to Giovanni and Elin. <laughs>